Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical, actually every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 28. Our special guest is Jeffrey Schechter. Hi, welcome, Jeffrey Schechter, to Broadway's Backbone. Hello. You go by Shecky, though, right? Of course, yeah. The full name is Jeffrey Schechter, but uh, everybody calls me Shecky, have been for many years. comes from my last name, Shecky. I love it. Yeah. And do people call you Jeff at all, or is it just Shecky? Um, that's a good question. Uh, most people in the business call me Shecky. However, some people are confused and call me Jeff, and then two minutes later will call me Shecky. <laughs> and they'll, they'll go back and forth. Um, my wife calls me Jeff. There's a girl on our show. She goes, hello, Jeffrey, which is really weird because nobody calls me Jeffrey, but she's kind of a, a, a cute girl. So <laughs> so you let it go? I can let it go. She yes. can say it however she wants. But no, I, I like Shecky. It's, it's, um, it's Sergio Trujillo, who's you know pretty well-known choreographer. He actually gave me that name years ago. We, we did Guys and Dolls together. And he used to go, hey, Chicky Man, Chicky Man, Chicky Man, Chicky Man. He, he's got that thick accent. And I, it started to stick, and I, I think he's saying Shecky. So before we knew it, everybody was calling me Shecky, and it's, it's just stuck. Even I'm, cast directors call me Shecky, so. I love it. It's like Cher, Madonna, one Madonna, name. Madonna, Shecky. Yeah. Well, let's start off uh, going through your credits. Uh, Guys and Dolls. Yes. Beauty and the Beast. The Pajama Game. Chorus Line. People in the Picture. Nice work if you can get it. And currently, you're in Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Did I miss anything? Did you say anything goes? Uh, anything goes, I did not say, but it is on there. Aha! Aha! Anything goes. I think so, yeah. Uh, proud that this is my ninth one. Fiddler is my number nine. Um, so yeah, it sounded like it sounded like everything was there. It sounds well, great. Well, we'll get to them all. <laughs> so where are you from, and how did you get started? Um, I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Brooklyn and Long Island. I'm born in Farmingville, Long Island. Lived I moved around a lot. Lived there until I was about two. Then we moved to Levittown, which is also on Long Island, um, but Nassau County. Then we moved to Canarsie, Brooklyn. Then I moved to Bensonhurst. Parents got divorced. Then I moved back to my original house, which was in Farmingville, um, for my teenage and my high school years. Um, then lived in the city for a little while, and then that started, that was around 18 where I started kind of going back and forth between New York and LA. But yeah, New York local between uh, Brooklyn and Long Island all these years. So did you go to a high school for performing arts? Did you take school uh, acting afterwards? Um, oddly enough, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in 10th grade, I auditioned for a performing arts high school on Long Island. It was not in my district. So my dad had to get like a fake mailing address for a different location, and I auditioned, I got in, but I had to go to their local school for the remainder of my junior year before I could be in their performing arts school for the senior year. So I went to the junior year, and it was a terrible school. Oh. And I really missed my high school. Just the quality and the kid, I mean, everything was just really, really low, that I really missed my regular school. So, and I was like, it's my senior year. Am I going to really go into a brand new school? And it was performing arts school, which was appealing. But I, going away for that three quarters of the year really made me appreciate how good my regular school was. And 
I was very well liked and I did the high school shows and I knew everybody. I'm like, it's my last year. So um, I didn't end up going to performing arts school. I went back to my high school for my senior year and it was like one of the best years of my life. And then um, after high school, I was, uh, going to go, I was gonna go to college to Marymount Manhattan here in the city uh, for a major in visual arts and a minor in theater. Uh, I've always enjoyed painting and drawing and and I was one of those people that was like, well, you could take classes in the city, you could do this and that, possibly I should have maybe another major and then minor and study outside of school. Um, and literally three days before starting school, I had to schedule everything, got a European tour of West Side Story. Wow. And it was like, that's it. You know, I had the conversation with my dad and mom and, you know, they were supportive of me either way. And I'm like, that's my favorite show of all time. I'm 18 years old. I'm going to Europe. <laughs> I'm doing West Side Story. And it's amazing how one quick phone call can just change your life. And yeah. get you on yes. your, the right path. Yep. yep. So did you train after school? What, uh, jazz, tap, ballet, everything? I mean, while I was in high school, I met the right person. Um, because I started dancing, I was, I was self Basically self-taught. I mean, I watched movies. I watched John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever. I watched Michael <laughs> Jackson, you know. And it was something about seeing those guys. I was just I mimicked them. I would just I just started mimicking what they were doing. I had a natural ability. Um, and my dad honed in on that, and so he was the one who nurtured it and got me into like a dance school when I was like sixteen. And it was very. I mean, it was kind of weird because in some classes I was with kids my age. But the flip side, I was doing a ballet class with nine-year-olds at 16 because they're like, you need the basics. You Absolutely. Need and it was embarrassing and I hated it. But, you know, that was the way they saw it. And in retrospect, it's what I needed. So but about that same time, I, uh, I met this woman, Jamie Chandler Torrance, who uh, used to be Jamie Beth Chandler. She was a Broadway girl and had done probably at that point four or five Broadway shows. Somehow I was introduced to her because they were looking for a boy for a dance convention on Long Island to learn a number very quick, you know, and I learned the number, we won. She's like, okay, who are you? You need to be with me. <laughs> and she started her own dance company and pretty much from 16 to 18, I was taking classes with her nonstop and other kids liked me, but I was like her one boy, there was like one other and I credit her with getting me up to the level that I needed to be to be able to compete on a Broadway level. Um, so, and then as far as like training outside of that, a lot of, for me in those beginning years was hands-on training. Yeah. Like literally going into West Side Story, somehow booking it, and then marveling going, oh my God, that's, that's, that's Jerome Vavona from, from Jerome Robbins Broadway. That was the show I wanted to be in. Oh my God, that's Gregory Garrison. He was in Drum Martin's Broadway. I'm like, suddenly there I am doing a show with these guys. Absolutely. And these are like veterans, people I, you know. So for me, it was watching guys like that. I'm, I'm in the trenches with them dancing, but every minute I could, I would be watching them and other people on the show. I'd, I'd always be that guy standing in the wings watching and copying, like I did as a kid, mimicking, going, I like how he does that. I like how he turns. I like how he jumps. Ooh, that sound. You know, and just really trying to pick it up. So that was that was my college, you know, working with really amazing people. Getting into Guys and Dolls, my Broadway debut, I toured first and watching people like Lou Stadlin 
and and uh, Patty Van Peterson and Richie Muens, they were our principals. I go, oh my God, Lou Stadlin is like, he played Nathan Detroit. You know, he's like best friends with Nathan Lane. These guys are comedy geniuses. Geniuses. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yes. You know. So it's like just watching and listening to the timing and I don't know. For me, it was a lot of that. And then, yes, on the flip side, living in New York, I definitely did the grind of taking acting classes and going, who's the best singing teacher? And hitting the Broadway Dance Center and hitting steps and, you know, taking classes with everybody. When you heard somebody's name, oh, you know, take a class with them, take a class with them. But a lot of it was just being in the trenches and then hearing, go take this class. And then I go take that class. Which is smart. Were you teased at all for being a boy dancer in Long Island? Um, yeah, I was quiet about it. I mean, my very first dance class was a tap class when I was about 12 or 13. And I got it in my head like, this is not cool. Like, <laughs> so I just, I wouldn't, I literally wouldn't tell anybody. I literally would come up from school, get on my bike, ride my bike to my rehearsal or, you know, tap class, ride home, quiet. Recital, came home. Rode my bike to the recital, did the recital, came home. I wouldn't tell anybody. Um, I don't know. Back then, it was such a weird thing that I was doing because I literally was at age 11. I was like a John Travolta impersonator. Like I had the white suit, <laughs> the black shirt, all that. So it wasn't something you just kind of like, hey, what'd you do last night? Right. Uh, well, I went to a hotel with my dad and... I performed for a bunch of 30 to 40 year old women and men and dip pelvic thrusts in a white suit and black shirt. What'd you do? You know, I mean, I don't know. I was, it's funny. I was really kind of shy about it until it started to naturally garner attention. And I think that probably, probably didn't happen until early years in high school, like doing like a high school talent show and, you know, with a science teacher, Mr. Remke is putting me and this other kid together. We're like, you guys would be good dancing together. And we did the talent show. It was like, oh my God, you're amazing. I don't know, you dance? I'm like, yeah, I dance a little bit. You know, so I don't know. I, I guess I didn't give myself the chance to really be teased. Or if there was, I stopped it really quick right. by just being quiet about it. Until it became kind of this cool thing where everybody's like, oh my God, Jeff Shecker can dance. And it was a cool thing. Right. So somehow maybe I escaped that. I guess. No, I think Unless I've buried these hard... No, no, I think that's great. I don't know, maybe. Because I know a lot of kids, you know, twinkle toes and like, you know, you're a faggot, you're this, you're that, we got to wear tights. I I was definitely scared to hell of anybody finding out that maybe I did ballet. Right. Oh, of course. Like, I didn't... I'll never forget. I was about 12 years old. We had um, these ballet professionals, probably from a well-established place, but I don't know. I just remember seeing the image of this guy... And girl walking down the hallway, specifically the guy in the tightest tights with bulge and ass hanging out <laughs> and thinking, oh my God, no, 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 I cannot do that. You're right. Yeah. And, and nobody can know. So like when I was doing ballet at 16, I was like, oh my God, I'm not showing people pictures of me in my white tights and my, in my captain's jacket. Lifting a nine-year-old girl on my shoulder. No. <laughs> I mean, eventually I think people find out and it was kind of funny. Oh, right. But I was old enough where, I don't know, I wasn't getting made fun of too much. Yeah, that's great. See, you have a great career that uh, I would love to emulate because you've been in the ensemble and then you've been a principal. Mm -hmm. Then you've gone back in the ensemble and understudied the lead. 
and now you're playing a supporting role and then you'll be in the ensemble like so many people get in the ensemble and the first thing they want to do is get out of the ensemble right, right. or they say once you play a principal you don't ever go back right and you work constantly but you take stuff that makes you feel good do you I mean you obviously have some type of uh, ego that you would be like <laughs> why would I go back in the ensemble after being this but it's an impressive resume of stuff that you've done. Thank you. So how, I mean, I mean, do people advise you to say, oh, after course line, oh, never do, never do ensemble again? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm an actor. I have a big ego, you know, and, you know, you mentioned course line. I think in some ways I was thinking course line was my, my coming out party. Right. You know, like, okay, I'm finally cementing myself as a true song and dance man. I'm a principal. I can hold my own. I'm there. And, you know, there was heat, and I got to go away and do some good regional productions and star in some things, and, but it didn't quite end up being the launching pad that I thought it was going to be. So it, it, was, it was disappointing. Um, and then you, you, you're faced with a job possibility comes along, and you go, hmm, it's a new choreographer director I'd like to work with. Um, sounds like a fun show. You never know. This could lead to something else, another great connection. You know, so stepping off of that, for instance, it was a show called Minsky's. Casey Nicolau was the director, choreographer. Yes. I was hired to cover the lead in the show. Um, he was very vocal about how much he loved my dancing and, you know, was so happy to have me in the show. And I was like, this guy is an up-and-comer. Absolutely. You know, he's definitely making a career for himself, isn't he? Yes, yeah, just a little one. Just a little one. And you know him as well, of I course, because you work for him, too. He's brilliant. So cut to, I take this chance, he gets an opportunity to fall even more in love with me in his show. And then the next show he's doing, he hires me to be a lead in a brand new show. That was supposed to come to Broadway, it didn't. But, Robin and Seven, Robin and Seven I saw it in San Diego. Yeah, you saw yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it, you were great. Thank you. Yes, and I walked in there because I was up for that role. So I walked, oh. in, <laughs> I walked in there like a little resentful and walked out and was like, that Shecky guy's good, <laughs> you know. Which is, you know, I friended you, I faced and wrote to you afterwards. Yes. I was like, wow, let go of that resentment because he's good. <laughs> Don't you hate that when you like, I was up for that role, and then you watch and like, son of a bitch, he's good. Yes. Yeah, no, I, that happens all the time. You're like, all right, all right, I get gotta it. I let it go. Yes. Now, and there's no reason you couldn't have done it, and there's millions of reasons why, whatever. But at the end of the day, we all go see shows, and we go, oh, that's the guy that got it. We're girl, and you're like, okay. Rarely do you go, what the hell are they thinking? Exactly. Which is nice. You have to trust that the people in charge know what they're doing. Exactly. That's why they're in charge. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, look, I'd be lying to say if there isn't a tug of war between going back and forth, principal, ensemble, principal, ensemble. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I have two children. Um, I'm not just starting my career. I'm definitely further along in my career. I'm 20 years into my career now. And so I've got to be open to lots of possibilities. And I'm also inspired by other people that are, that are 10 years in front of me that are having the careers I think I ultimately am going after. I look at someone like Danny Burstein in our show. His turning point was his ninth Broadway show. Right. You know, Drowsy Chaperone. You know, and now he's playing Tevia. You know, and 16 Broadway shows later. He's a good 10 plus years older than me. Right. You know, I, I look at someone like um, Michael uh, Michael McGraw. Oh, yes. He's on here to write, write about. Yeah, is he? Oh, great. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's someone too. He, again, another person that's 10 plus years ahead of me that I go, I see myself going there. And they've had a long career and they've done great things. And they, they've 
but they're at a place where they're doing, I think, great roles, great work, and everybody knows who they are Absolutely. without the burden of, of not being able to walk out of their home. Right. Well, I think both of us, you and uh, Nice Work, you can get it, and uh, me and Spamalot understudied Michael McGraw. Yeah. And that was one of the examples you talked about earlier, just watching someone. Yes. I mean, he's, I would say, probably my idol. Being able to understudy someone of that caliber, you learn so much. Yeah. And you realize, oh, you're right. In 10 years, I want to have that career. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you got to be realistic about where you are in your life. And you got to be realistic about where you are in your career. And I'm very, very clear that there could be some perhaps blocks about fears about finally getting to that place and having that responsibility of, of being the second banana and because you watch it, it's interesting, like in Fiddler, I'm watching Adam Cantor, he plays uh, Muttle in the show, and I understudy him. And I see a lot of myself in him as far as how he deals with the stress and the anxiety and the pressures of the show. Mm. And all these these little show and tells, and him having to you know, sing his song, this is all during the rehearsal process. Now, he's done a lot now, he seems, he's very comfortable, but I identify with that. And that stuff can be really scary and overwhelming. So there's a part of you that sometimes for me goes, huh, I have to be real with myself. I'm kind of enjoying this time around being in a nice featured ensemble role, not killing myself. It's just funny enough. It's just good to be able to go, who's that guy? Right. He's great. And I'm not killing myself with this pressure and stress, which for me at this time in my life right now is, is good between running a business, being married, raising two kids, there's a lot on my plate. There's a lot on your plate. So I'm going, the universe is, and this is something I really believe in, I think the universe gives you things and throws it at you when it feels you're ready, it protects you. At least me, things that have happened or haven't happened, I go, when I look back and go, it totally makes sense. Right. It totally makes sense. So I feel like perhaps there's a couple more things I have to learn, a couple more Danny Burstein's I have to watch get a couple more tools under my belt, ask the right questions, and then all of a sudden I think it's gonna probably officially open up. And that's that's the plan I put into motion. And when I say that, meaning there is a part of me that wants to be able to eventually just go, okay, Ensemble, thank you. You have been amazing to me. Yes. I'm grateful for everything I've done, but I really, I really wanna let these young up-and-comers do that, and I wanna be Michael McGraw. Right. I wanna be you know, Danny Burstein. I want that responsibility. I want that acknowledgement. I want those opportunities. God damn it, I wouldn't mind a Tony nomination. You know <laughs> yes, what I'm saying? Yes, but so, I, think, I think you're on that trajectory. I think I am too. Yeah. And But what I say about being realistic, it's going, let me look at where am I at my life? What am I doing or not doing to make that happen? And Because I feel like there's always something you can do to make stuff happen. You can't just sit back and wait for the phone to ring. You can't just, you gotta generate. Absolutely. Know, just like you generating this 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 podcast. You know, you're like, I want to be creative. This is something I want to do. It's something I'm passionate about. It will more than likely lead to a door opening in some other area that either one, you never thought about, or two, exactly where you want to go because of your passion for something different. Yeah, well, you're one that does not wait for the phone to ring. You're, you're writing, you're directing. Your <laughs> yes, I mean, you're like, I see you're like doing little movies. You're doing this and that. I mean, does that keep your passion alive to always be doing your other side projects? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a workaholic to, to, um, to mostly a good degree, but sometimes a bad in that I don't know how to relax. Like when I finally do, I'm just like, 
it's like my whole body collapses. Um, but I do. It's like I'm so committed to to having a great life, to really doing doing as much as I possibly can to to um, fulfill my goals in my life. So I feel like if there's a moment where I could be doing something to make that happen, I've got to do it. You know, if if I want to be in a movie and my phone's not ringing with you know. Spielberg on the phone to uh, make me star opposite Leo. Well, then I have to create a project that is going to put me in people's faces to go, wow, that kid can really carry a film. Yeah. It's freaking funny. You know, so boom, there's a short film. And, you know, fortunately, I have a talent for writing and I enjoy it. So when I find the time, I do that. Um, or again, looking for a vehicle that's going to put me to become the next Danny Burstein or, or Michael. It may not come. So then I have a conversation with my manager going, all right. Let's start opening our eyes to going, what would I like to do? Is there a revival I would like to do? Who would I want to start with? Do I have an original piece in my mind? Start putting it out there now. So in 2018, 2019, it's going, you know, it's a wonderful life starring Jeffrey Schechter. Shecky. Absolutely. Boom, you know? Yes. So I want to just know that I, I, I've given it the best possible shot. On the flip side, it's, it's I'm working on just trying to own and be happy with what I do have. And that's, that's I think, the hard thing about us actors is, we're always going, what's next? What's next? What's yeah. next? That you sometimes forget, like, all right, calm down. You're in a beautiful Broadway show. Mm -hmm. People are loving it. People are loving you. You're doing good work. You're not killing yourself. It's selling well. You finally have a consistent paycheck. You know, which I know we've talked about and other people talk about. All the time, You yeah. have a business that's growing. You have a beautiful wife and two children. You have family. I mean, there's a lot of good things going on. Take a breath and then just enjoy it. Because tomorrow the phone call could be, hello? Yes, Michael McGraw cannot do She Loves Me for the next three months. We need you now. <laughs> yeah, you know, all right. Right before Tony's. You know, so it's like, oh my God. So you've got to be ready for that phone call. Yeah. So... If you get a little chill time, take it. Absolutely. Let me say that again. If you get a little chill time, take it. Yes. Yeah, right? So when the phone rang the first time for your Broadway debut for you going into Guys and Dolls, you were yeah. already on the tour. Uh, no, I, I recently finished the tour. I want to say maybe it was a month or just had finished. And I got a call um, to see if I wanted to go to the Broadway company. Was that just crazy thrilling? Because that show had just closed when I first moved here, and it was the talk of the town. Like, it was the choreography. The yes. Yeah. Um, it was a dream come true. I remember calling um, Chris Chadman, who, Christopher Chadman, who was the choreographer. He's no longer with us. He died many years ago from complications with AIDS. Um, I called him after I'd gotten the call that I was going to go to the Broadway company. I said, hello. Hello, is this God? And he laughed. <laughs> I said, hi, God. I just want to thank you. And then I was being serious with him. I said, I said, you just got to know, if I could choose any show to be my Broadway debut, it's this one. I have loved being on the national tour of this show and this being my breakout show, and I, I just can't thank you enough. And he's like, you'll be great. You deserve it. You know, you're talented. And so, I mean, it was, it was amazing. I remember when I officially got the call from, it was then Johnson Liff with, mm. with Tara Rubin, yes. who has her own casting office now. I was with my friend Kevin Ligon, who uh, he was nicely, nicely on the tour, and he's still a Broadway vet around. I was actually at his apartment when I got the call, and I called back that I was going into the show, 
And he describes it as one of the most joyful things he's ever witnessed. Because he goes, you hung up the phone and you started doing the whole crapshoot dance in my living room. Oh, that's great. I just was dancing like a dog just let out of the cage. It was very exciting. That is very exciting. Yeah. So the next show was Beauty and the Beast? Uh, ba 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 Yes. And were you LeFou? No. Um, it was the LA Company and I was I cast. saw that overnight at the LA Company. You did? I did. That's oh crazy. You've been stalking me. I have been stalking. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, I was actually cast as a swing, so you didn't see me. Oh, okay. I maybe come, it came out to, to shake your hand along with, uh, oh my God, that's what I did on opening night. I was a swing, so I wasn't on in the show. So I went out. This was in Los Angeles yeah. to see who was there. Angela Lansbury was there the night I was there. Jack Nicholson was there. I you shook see? his hand. Oh my God. I went backstage and I traced my hand. I said, this hand just shook Jack Nicholson's hand. I mean, it was all of 24 years old. It was just like, oh my God, Jack oh, Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, but no, I was cast as a swing in the show and LeFou understudy. Oh, okay. And um, didn't know what a swing was and I'd heard about it. I was like, oh. You know, and talk about learning a lot I mean you've been a swing as well oh it's so hard I mean you could do a whole podcast on that alone I, I mean it was a great learning experience and what was cool is the first time I went out for LeFou the choreographer saw me and he's like you were terrific you, you should be playing this role which you don't always hear you no hear, you go on great job wonderful I was like cool love to make that happen at some point and then eventually was offered uh, the national tour to play LeFou and did that for seven months. And then eventually offered to go into the Broadway company and did that for seven months. Oh, great. So, yeah. And th the reason I ask is because, uh, well, both of us are of a, a certain stature that um, people would call short. And What? <laughs> Turn this thing off now. And a lot of people see that as a detriment, but it's something that you've been able to use to your advantage in, in this career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, uh, this, this, um, a fan reached out, he, you know, he's hoping to come into the business, and he asked me, he asked me that same question. He's like, uh, he, he's from North Carolina, I think, or I forget exactly. He's like, you know, teachers tell me, you know, you know, focus on something else, you're short, you know, being a dancer, it's not gonna be helpful for you. And I was like, uh, do not listen to them. Do not, I think years ago, that might have been a concern, but I mean, these days, it truly is. It doesn't matter what height you are. Look, if you're going to go for a Susan Stroman show, nine times out of ten, she likes tall boys. Yes. She likes five, ten, and above. So, yeah, unless it's a, it's a, a very specific spot or it's for a role, yes, that could be a problem. But, I mean, go to see any show. Go see Fiddler. You're going to see a guy a little bit shorter than me up to, you know, one of our other guys who's like six feet tall. And we're all dancing the same choreography. Yes, that's one. So, um, I think the only thing when it comes with being a small dancer is they expect you to move fast, faster. Yeah, you get know, to the ground they want faster. you. Yeah, get to the <clears> ground <throat> faster, get up faster, turn faster, jump higher. The the expectations are there possibly to be a flashier, uh, more exciting dancer because we're so small and compact. So, which I think is is true of how I am and my style, my energy. It's, and so I think it's worked for me as opposed to just being like everybody else. You have to dance bigger. Yep. You have to make it appear like you're as tall as the other person that's five foot ten next to you. But I would not say it's been a problem, with the exception of when there's a breakdown that says only five ten above. You can't. You can't yeah, do there's it. nothing you can do. But that's so rare these days. Yeah. I think. I think. Yeah. We've done four Kathleen Marshall shows, Pajama Game, uh, Nice Work If You Can Get It, Anything Goes, Maybe Wonder it's just Wonderful three. Town. Well, Wonderful Town. 
So you must obviously have a great relationship with her. Yeah, yeah. Um, we call her Aunt Kathleen in our show, in our show, in our home. Uh, I mean, she so good to me. I mean, I met her back during Wonderful Town, and then I, I just became one of her boys, which, you know, you you. Especially when you're an ensemble performer, if you could become somebody's boy or girl, absolutely. You know, if you could become a Casey dancer, a Blankenbuehler dancer, uh, a Kathleen Marshall dancer, you know, you know, you're gonna probably have some work for a little while. So she would always be good. I mean, if if it wasn't an offer, direct offer, it was always coming in and auditioning, going right to the callback. At this point, I don't have to dance for her anymore. Mm. She knows pretty much everything I could do. Um, she calls me for projects that she knows I'd be right for. I mean, Anything Goes was a great gift. I mean, literally, I had auditioned for it. I didn't get it. Uh, it was for uh, the role of the purser. Um, two weeks after my baby's born, I get a call saying, you know, Bobby Crichton, who's playing the purser, his wife is having a baby soon. He's going to be out for probably six weeks. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He's stepping into the role of Moonface. Martin, ah. because Joel Gray was injured. Can you do it? Uh, let me check with my wife. Can I? When we just had a baby, but can I go? Of course. Of course. I yeah. mean, just talk about a gift. <laughs> yes. Out of the blue. Um, yeah, I mean, I like her style. Um, I feel like she does shows that are within my wheelhouse. Anything that's a period piece from the 20s to like the 60s. Um, I know she respects me, I know she thinks I'm funny. I don't know if she can count on me, which to have someone be able to look at you and to be like, I, let's do this. And if not, we work together and be like, what's going to be the best showing? So I really love that. She does great work. She does. And she knows what the hell she's doing. She's so clean. She's so specific. She's so organized. I know if I do a Kathleen Marshall show, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a good time regardless cool. of what I'm doing. But you'll also step up to the plate for her as well because I mean she you're not just one of her boys you're extremely talented too yeah, so yeah she's no, getting a good job from no, me no I know yeah. I mean she you know she I was Michael McGraw's understudy in Nice Work and which I heard people who worked on the show said that you were brilliant like from backstage crew guys they were yeah. like oh Shecky was great when you went on oh sweet yeah so and they're right <laughs> <laughs> I, I was you know I, I'm proud of that it was like that was that was one of those times I'm like wow this is a second male lead Opposite Matthew Broderick, Kelly O'Hara, um, and I ended up going to play 20, 25 times for Michael McGraw, who was amazing and won a Tony Award. And it was like, other than being a little young for it, I, I can honestly say I nailed it. It was a great experience. In again, giving another feather in my cap, going, you can play on this level. You, you are playing on this level. So, and for her to entrust me with that and go put Shecky on. Yeah. You know, is is great, and I I have no doubt that when we find the right project, she will be giving me that Michael McGraw role, you know that would be appropriate for me. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, speaking of roles appropriate for you, let's talk about Mike in a chorus line. Yeah. So that was amazing. You were great in it, and they did the whole documentary about it. Every little step. How yeah. was that process for you? Having someone watch you. On yeah. The I mean. You know, in this day and age, it seems like everybody has a camera, so there's no hiding. But back then, I mean, this is 10 years ago now. Wow. You know, YouTube and all that stuff, I think, was still relatively new or not on as global scale as it is. And the idea of filming people's auditions was not common. 
So not only are you dealing with the pressure of just dealing with auditioning for casting directors and just trying to get the job, but suddenly there's a camera on you, and you're like, shit, if I screw up, this is, this is going to be in a movie. People can see this all the time. So it definitely put the pressure on. Um, but after a while, you just forgot about it. You just had to go in there and just do the job. And what's, what's nice to see is watching the film, um, it's called Every Little Step, I watch it and I go, oh wow, I, it's nice to kind of see what their process was and go, hmm, I think I see why I got cast based on what the competition was, based on what they were looking at, based on what I did. Because you don't get to see yourself mm, audition, you no. don't. So I was like, oh man, I was, I was really cute and charismatic and funny and I think that's what the role called for. Not that the other guys weren't and had wonderful um, talents that they were putting out there, but when I think about Mike, I go, I too thought that's what it should be. Right. Unfortunately, they did too. Yes. You know, um, not to toot my own horn, but but it, it just seemed right. Um, so I don't know, you eventually finally forgot about it, but it was a long process. Yes. I mean, I literally auditioned, I think, I think in the summer of, I think it was like June of 2005. And then I had to go back in for a call back, like not until, I wanna say September, October of that year. And I had to dance all over again because Bob Avian didn't remember my dancing. Oh. I went, are you kidding me? I didn't have to sing again for that particular call back, but I had to dance, so I had to go through everything all over again. And it was tedious. I mean, the, the opening combination and the ballet, and I was like, oh my God. Um, and then the final, final callback was at a theater and everybody and their brother was there and it was, it was nerve wracking and exciting and I had a fractured toe from pajama game. I was doing pajama game at the time, so I had an injury that I was trying to ignore. Oh. I mean, it was, it was tough. It was tough, um, but it worked out, fortunately. And then you did that the whole run? I did the whole run, yeah. And how was that? How was your body? How was that? Or were you just enjoying the whole ride of it? No, no. You know, it's funny. If you ask anybody with that show, I think they will tell you it is a love-hate relationship with that show. You really ride the wave of going, this is one of the coolest, most exciting things I've ever done, to this is, this is torturous. I mean, you are, you are auditioning for a show every day. Mm. And yes, there are some days you come in and you're just doing a show, but at the end of the day, you are trying to impress somebody every single day. So there's that. Then as Mike, I have the responsibility every night of kickstarting the show. Yes. It's the first number. So if I was on and I felt like I, I nailed it, you could feel the level was, we, we got jumped off to a good point. Like, all right, Shecky started us off. His number went great, audience is loving it, boom. If by some reason something happened where I just wasn't in the zone, it wasn't that good, the dancing wasn't quite there, I was off, you feel this, this like, God damn it, I'm letting my peers down. Now they have to pick me up out of the hole and the rest of the show. It's being dramatic. It's right. probably never as bad as that, but that's how you feel night after night. Yes. And then the show is so freaking iconic that you have a responsibility. People are like, oh my God, I love I Can Do That. I love that song my favorite isn't that like a gigantic tap number and I'm like actually it's not you don't wear tap shoes no I don't wear tap shoes isn't it like a huge it's a huge number I'm like it's actually about a minute and a half right it's all so much faster but people have an idea of what they think it is 
because you listen to it and you hear tap sounds and it's all very different and my interpretation is different than Wayne Salento's or different than your brother's cousin who did it at you know PS215 but it comes with that weight um, but you know when you're having a good night and you're jamming and you you feel like you really earned that performance and you get the job in the show Mike gets the job at the end of the show right you feel good yeah you feel good Ooh, somebody's singing hello we hear you yes <laughs> um, the other thing that was tough is fifth day of rehearsal, I sprained my ankle really, really bad. Oh no. Really, really bad. And it sidelined me for six weeks, right in the beginning of rehearsals. And to the point where I did not, we had an out of town tryout in San Francisco. I didn't do my first show until seventh, the seventh show into San Francisco. So my understudy basically got to learn the role and first perform it. Wow. Which for him, he had not done that much, so he was getting the opportunity of a lifetime. Right. And me as the vet was going, wait, this is this is my moment. What is happening? Yeah. So it was torturous. Um, and so for that first year, it was about recovering and going from Mike, you know, 1.0 to Mike... 6.0 like what is the real performance because it was about getting strength and about doing what I can really do and the irony of you know doing I can do that and I can't do anything right now mm. and then the show's about what happens if you can't dance anymore and people getting injured and I was with faced that. with that every day oh, it's a you hard know, laying, feeling laying in bed you know as I was recovering from this and it wasn't just a simple sprain like I, I had to get physical therapy every single day um, for that whole first year of the run and I, I could not dance on it for mm. weeks. So I would learn the show, like basically bouncing on one leg and, you know, would go up to Bob, the director, and I'd be like, can I stand on the line, please, and say my lines and sing my song? He's like, yeah, yeah, come on. Because I wanted, it was like watching this boat sailing and you're like, wait, I have my ticket. I got my ticket. Yeah. Where's the boat going? It was, it's really very quite sad when I think about it. Because I was like, I earned my ticket on this boat. Why yeah. am I, why am I on the pier watching this? On the flip side, I sound like Tevi. On the one hand, <laughs> except I say on the flip side, it was incredible to watch. And I, I, I keep thinking there was a reason that I should be watching it, because I was watching veterans, you know, watching Charlotte Dubois, watching Deidre Goodwin, watching Michael Palinastro, these vets, Michael Bares. And they're watching these new kids. They're watching the people who got it right away and the people that were really struggling to find it. Mm. And then watching it eventually come together and becoming the great show it was. So I got to be a director and an editor as I was watching it. That was the one cool thing. I don't know what the reason is yet, why I was sidelined, but that was part of it. Whether I'm going to write a great movie about it one day or a great story, I have that perspective that nobody else has. Which is very cool. It's very cool. And then I did eventually get to go and do my thing and cement my place as Mike. Yeah, and everyone loved you. And people Thanks. were happy because everyone thought, oh, Shecky paid his dues. This is like, that's what was the buzz on the street was uh, people are happy when someone gets something that they deserve. It. Yeah, and it really was a, a right role. When you think about, you know, when you, people go, oh, you just weren't right for it. It's like that role has me all over it. Yep. It's just this guy's personality, his. I mean, I am one of these people. I'm like, I can do that. Yeah. And when I can't do something, oh, man, I'm freaking frustrated. 
Like I don't don't tell me I can't sing Frankie Valley and Jersey Boys. I can sing that. <laughs> you know? Yes. I mean it's so it's so true. So yeah. yeah. But overall an incredible experience, but definitely a tug of war yeah. because of many different circumstances. Yeah. Well, a lot of uh, parts of this business that are unfortunate are when things don't happen or disappointments and depression, like with Robin and the Seven Hoods. Yeah. That was supposed to come to Broadway. You had a great role. How do you deal with that type of things like rejection and not getting things? Do you... You cry. You cry. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, though. Um, you know, it's funny. My wife would say, she's like, it always takes me 48 hours to get over something I really wanted. You know, and I'm like, mm, that, that's a good assessment depending on what it was. Yeah. How big or how small it is or how how long you fought for it or... 48 hours. I wish I was her. It I know. a lot longer. I know. I know. It depends. I find as I get older too, you think after all these years, I'm like, oh, just walk away, let it go. But I don't know. I feel like it's getting harder because you get more attached. As you get some other great opportunities later in your career, like I'm getting some great opportunities so when they don't come together, I'm like, oh man, what is it? What is it? What's happening? Yeah. Why? But then on a dime, something wonderful comes along and it all makes sense. But it is hard. It is hard. To, it never gets easy to be rejected. Because mm -mm. the first thing you want to do is go, what did I do wrong? Yeah. It's, it's just the nature of the beast. And only until you're on the other side of the table, which I get to do every now and then, whether I'm teaching a class or whether somebody asks me to assist and direct or choreograph something, you get it. Yeah. You watch people get up there and dance and you go, well, that's the guy. He should be playing Mike. And you watch her sing and go, they are both terrific, but there's something, there's something about her that just, it feels right when she sings it. The girl right next to her is just as good, but I don't know, it's a, it's a little thing. It's not always so cut and dry yeah. as we think it is. Going or 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 you just or something you did or didn't do. It's like a relationship. I was watching The Bachelor last night, <laughs> and it's true. It's like there's nobody wrong. It's like I just love her, and it's hard to hear, but I just I just love her a little bit more. I can't explain it, but I love her a little bit more. Hmm. And I think it's the same thing in casting because sometimes, you know. Yeah, it could have been you and me up for the Robin and Seven Hoods. And, and as hard as it is to hear, it's just going, they're both great. There's something about Shecky in this particular instance that it's just right. Absolutely. Whereas Spamalot, you know, it's it's like there you are going, I just I just see Brad for this spot. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. But it never, I don't know. For me, at least, it doesn't get easy. No, it doesn't get easy. You still, you still got to look at it. You're still going, is there something I could have done? Yeah. You know? Well, like in when we met people in the picture, I think that's your only flop in your career. You had a pretty lucky career. Um, that was a, in a weird way a, a disappointment, but it, it was fun in the sense of I mean, we had seders and we had baby showers. Right, right. And what's funny is below fifty four below is now this huge nightclub and cabaret space, and that was our green room. Yeah, just amazing. So amazing. Yeah. So with people in the picture and with Fiddler, and you're also Jewish yourself. Yes. How do you feel like there's a reverence to make sure that things aren't stereotypical or authentic? Because I think that there are, you know, in, like you can play Tevye very stereotypical and things like that. How do you adjust that with, the, with your own personal beliefs? Um, 
You mean to to not be a stereotypical Jewish? Oh yeah, but also being a project that sometimes people are. And right. I mean that. I feel like that comes from the leadership of your team. You know, for for Fiddler, you know, Bartlett Cher directed this show, and he was coming from probably the most authentic, real places possible. He's like, we are not doing your sticky high school production where the rabbi is 90 years old and talks like this and nobody understands what he's saying. He goes, we're not doing that one. You know, we are basing everything out of reality and we're going to find that. And it's going to be funny and we're going to put in our comedy, but we're not going to make it sticky. Mm. But you stick, know, isn't that a Yiddish word? Stick is, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's stick, it's comedy, it's yeah. jokes and... Um, and you can, you can. There's, there's wonderful productions that do go over the top and get right. sticky. And you know, Zero Mostel and Topo and all those guys were considered to be kind of sticky at times. And and they're shtick. Don't get me wrong. In bits. Oh right. But I mean, we sat around for two days and just did book work, and we just read the lines with no inflection, no nothing, just reading like a book. So you can really hear, like, okay, what is the story? What is the intention? What is it? Let's start there. As opposed to let's start with the joke that this is a joke and it's supposed to be funny you know what's great is Bart Scher likes to go in the opposite direction he goes we can find the comedy later let's just find what the heck we're saying what are we doing so I really appreciate that I mean I love shtick I love over the top camp right you know, I mean your spamalots your book of mormons your your um uh, something rotten oh, you know right, where yeah. it's just shtick for shtick's sake and we are being but even those they work because there has to be truth behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's what's different for, for me, at least this time. Um, and what I appreciate is that it's we're really making sure to be authentic and true to the story that we're telling. And have you done Fiddler before? I did one regional production years ago in L.A., and I played the Fiddler. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. And people forget that, that that role. I think that's a great role. I would love. To I play mean, it that is role. called the Fiddle on the Roof. Yeah, and you know, it's what's. I mean, it's it's really featured beautifully in our production. Like it definitely is. Like when I did it, it was sweet. It's cute. And he's got a couple of nice moments. But what's nice is Bart has given this character a real through line, mm. which is really nice. And then the, um, Jesse Gavorsky plays the fiddler in our show, and he is also one of the dancers in the show. So he's he's got a busy track. Oh, nice. Yeah. We mentioned earlier that you make your life happen and make uh, you make phone calls. You don't wait for your phone to ring. But I recently saw you on an episode of Elementary. Yeah. So you also, on top of doing all this and being a, a dad and being on a Broadway show, <laughs> you're auditioning for TV and film yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So how do you f split your focus? Um, I wouldn't say splitting my focus as much as it's included all in my big picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been doing theater for a very long time. It's been very good to me. I love it. I'll continue to do it in some shape or form probably the rest of my life. However, I do have other passions. I really do love filmmaking. I do love TV. I, I'm, when I get an opportunity like elementary to really, that was cool because I was a guest star on that. And it was just me and the three principles in that arena. Yes. And me, it was a trip because I'm, it was all this, you saw, it was all this jargon. I'm, yeah. I'm bombing, all this wasn't a Yeah, it was diffusing a bomb. Yes. All this technical mumbo jumbo and I was like, oh my God. But it was me doing all the talking as I'm looking at all these leading players. I'm going, oh my God, I'm the star of this scene. Which was nerve-wracking and scary but also really freaking exciting. Yes. 
I mean, I rehearsed that shit until I had it inside and out, so I didn't screw it up. Um, it's where I want to go next. It's I want to do more of that. I want to be in a position where I'm doing uh, a, a really prominent recurring character or series regular and go, is this what I think it is? I want to get on a show and be like, because I have an idea of what I think it would be, but I haven't done enough of that world to know like, no, I think I'm much more comfortable in theater. Right. So I actively pursue it with my manager and audition for anything people will let me, whether it's even there, whether it's under five or it's a guest star. Um, and in that arena, it's paying my dues all over again. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I've got well over 20 years experience in theater. Whereas TV, even though I've been kind of plugging at it, it's a much different game. So I'd say I've got half that time, maybe even a third of that amount of time that's really been invested. Right. Um, I've never made the sole commitment to that world. It might go faster if I did. Right, but it's hard. But that's an area where I do try to generate my own activity because it's... Where in theater, if you're going to do a show like Fiddler, there's going to be 20 ensemble people. 10 guys, 10 girls. You're going in for elementary, there's that one guy. Yep. That's it. So that the opportunities are so fewer. So you mentioned before that you're a father of two and... A great husband, and you guys have a business together. I am a great husband. You God are great. damn it! <laughs> and you also have a business together. I can do that productions. Uh, it's called I can do that NYC. Um, yeah, we offer dance and theater classes to kids, young adults, teens, senior citizens. I mean, truly all ages. Um, we have cla- we rent space uh, in a temple on Fourteenth Street between First Second Avenue, and. Um, my wife and I both teach, and then we have assistants, and we teach dance and theater classes. We teach musical theater classes. In the summer, we do camps, and we do Broadway workshops. We do private coaching. I mean, we really do everything. Um, inspired by our daughter. I mean, our daughter is four really? and a half now, and it started with us looking for classes for her. She'd be enrolled in some classes, and um, in our neighborhood, we live on the Lower East Side, we just, we weren't super impressed with the classes we were seeing and the amount of money these places were charging just seemed to be robbery, you know, for these little kids to take class. And as parents ourselves, we know what it is to, you want to give your kids these opportunities, but you, you can't break the bank. Right. So our goal was to create great classes, make them affordable, and provide these kids with people like myself and my wife, people like yourself, that are from this world, that know it for years, and can bring all of that, just all that talent and all that knowledge into a classroom as young as three and a half, and really introduce these kids to being confident, to using their bodies, to using their minds, their imaginations, focusing. I mean, we really, we really try to inspire them and, and get them to believe that they can do anything. And our motto is, we understand if you can't do it, we just want you to try you can try so the whole idea is just try and maybe you can do it that's a great motto yeah um, so it's been really good where this where this is our first full year we did um, we did a, uh, our first winter semester is almost over we did a winter break we're getting ready for our spring semester and um, our summer schedule is up at www.icandothatnyc dot com dong 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 <laughs> if you had to pick one big career moment that was your favorite or two what would it be there's a lot there's a couple of things that just flashed so I'll say the flashes 
Um, performing on the Tony Awards with the cast of A Chorus Line. Oh, yes. Coming up in the elevator. There's an elevator shaft that brings the rock cats to the stage. So we came up to that. Hit the stage one. That was, I mean, and the crowd went apeshit. That was amazing. Um, performing for the first time with the the national tour of Guys and Dolls, like to be dancing, that kind of dancing, that was pretty amazing. Um, getting to go on for the first time as Cookie and nice work if you can get mm. it, and really having my friend Barrett going, yeah, you should never go on again because you're never going to be better than that. That was a beautiful compliment. Yeah, and and, and being able to own that. It felt as good as it as it went. That was pretty great. Um, being in a Ron Howard movie, you know, with Matthew McConaughey. What movie was that? It was Ed TV. Oh, great! I worked in that film for three months when I lived in LA. That was one of those moments that was pretty surreal and amazing. I mean, I've been really lucky. Yes. Really lucky to perform all over the world and work with great people. Um, hearing Brian Stokes Mitchell and Lachance. Um, sing the score to Ragtime for the first time the LA company of Ragtime you did that too? I did that I too I saw that as, oh, wow I've been, <laughs> I've been stalking you <laughs> that was pretty amazing I mean talk about just tears falling from the eyes hearing the two of them sing that score for the first time because we rehearsed that show without them because they had done it right so we rehearsed and we knew it was great stuff but then we finally did our Zitz probe and they just came in and joined us it was like holy fucking shit so, yeah. yeah, I mean, performing and meeting my wife. Yeah. You know, Melissa Swender, we did West Side Story in Europe together. and um, When you were 18? No, 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 no. Uh, oh, wow. When I, was, when I was 29. Oh, okay. I did, I did another production of it, um, and I played action um, in Basel, Switzerland for seven weeks, and that's where I met her. And meeting her and watching her dance and doing that show every night with her, that falling in love, that was... That's pretty amazing. Those are pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic interview. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, so I'm going to get you to your half hour. Yes, yes. But if we had to end this with uh, any song from your career, what would it be? Oh, it's an easy one for me. I'm watching Cisco Peter Pat. Said, I can do that. I can do that. Knew every step right off the bat. Said, I can do that. I can do that. One morning, sis won't go to dance class. I grab her shoes in tights and all, but my foot's too small, so I stuff her shoes with extra socks. Run seven blocks in nothing flat. And I can do that. I can do that. to class and had it made and so I stayed the rest of my life all thanks to sis now married and fat I can do this that I can do I can do that I always joke to people that, you know, um, I love to make people laugh, right? 
So if if I make make you laugh, that's great. If I don't, it doesn't matter. So two songs come to mind. Let me entertain me. Let me <laughs> make me smile. And then there's also make me laugh, make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> it's as long as I make myself laugh, chances are I think you'll laugh too. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs>